Welcome, everybody. We are back in 1 Kings, but we're in a new chapter now, 1 Kings 18. That's where we're going to be tonight. Um, we're going to spend a little section of time actually going through the scripture and commenting on it as we go. So I definitely encourage you, even if it's on your phone, device like that, pull up 1 Kings chapter 18, because there'll be a, a time in which we're, we're just looking right at the text the whole time. Um, and it's better for you to have your eyes on it than just trusting that what I'm saying is true. So, all right, um, I don't feel like I need to give like too much of a recap as far as where we've been in this series, right? Elijah, provision, and glory, that's, that's what it's called. Um, and so far, we have talked a ton about God's provision. Last week is when we began to shift it besides just talking about God's provision, to talking about and focusing on God's glory. And so far, we have spent uh, five messages in the series of Elijah. We've spent five messages talking about God's provision and introducing who Elijah was and seeing how Elijah is an example of a life with Christ. We've had five messages really honing in on this section of the Old Testament. Um, but what, what I consider those messages is, is the pre-show. The, the things that we've been doing so far, I consider the, the pre-show. Now, I've, I've, got a, I've got a sports illustration for you guys, right? Now, bear with me. I don't do sports illustrations very often, but I think this is the, the most applicable. Um, I'm not a huge sports guy in general. Like, I'm, I'm not one of those guys that, like, has ESPN just, like, running in the background while he's doing stuff, right? Like, I don't... Uh, particularly like sit down and purposely watch any kind of news related to, to ESPN or sports in general. Um, but like, you know, I watch sports and I follow certain sports particularly. Um, I don't watch like Sports Center or like about it, but I follow teams in certain things. Um, I follow particular players. I root for like specific events to happen or particular outcomes. So I'd say like I'm the average person. Right? I care about some things, but I'm not super in-depth with it. Um, so like, I don't know a ton about the sports world, but I think what I do know, and I think you guys would see this too, is that for every like, big event that happens in a sport, there's almost always a pre-show. Like football games on Sundays, there's almost always a show before the actual show where they're, they're talking about what's to come, right? They're talking about the event that's about to happen. Like the guys and gals sit around and they discuss like different aspects of it. They talk about like the players that are involved. They talk about the history of those players. They talk about um, the strengths and weaknesses of both sides. They tell you a lot of those things and they even try to predict the outcome oftentimes. And that like for sports fans, like they learn from that, right? And, and when you head into actually watching the, whatever event it is, oftentimes the pre-show is what, is what has informed you, has given you a lot of info about what's going on and who's playing and what they're good at and what to expect and all these things. Like the pre-show oftentimes influences how the fans view it and what they know about it. And that's how I view the five messages that we've gone through in Elijah. 1 Kings 17 has been a pre-show in which we're introduced to the opponents. We're introduced to a little bit of info about each one of those opponents. And it has begun building this tension. Right, this tension that happens 
when, when two sides, two opposing forces go toe-to-toe, when two forces do battle. That tension that rises, that when you can see them actually step on the field and face each other, you've got a bit of background story to it. That's been 1 Kings 17. And, and here's what we've learned specifically about 1 Kings 17. There's two opposing gods in this story. We've got Yahweh, the one true living God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then we've got Baal, this pagan god of rain and fertility. And we've got these two gods who are like the teams, and then we've got the people that represent them. We've got the players. We've got Elijah, who's representing Yahweh, and we've got King Ahab and all his prophets that are representing Baal. And their first confrontation, right off the bat in 1 Kings 17, if you remember, it didn't go very well for Ahab and Baal. Like Elijah, he shows up on the scene, 1 Kings 17, shows up on the scene, and out of nowhere, and he's like, as the Lord lives, there ain't no rain that's going to be falling on this place anymore. And then just, Elijah's gone. He shows up out of nowhere, says there's not going to be rain, and then he leaves. And Elijah goes where God tells him to go. He lives off the food that the ravens bring him. And then he ends up living with a widow and her family. And then her son dies and he raises her son. And those are all things that we've covered, right? And we've talked about God's provision. That's where we left off. And now we're brought to 1 Kings 18. And we see that some time has passed. And not like just some time, but like three years have gone by since the start of the last chapter. Three years of no rain. Three years of nothing to grow the crops. Of nothing to feed the livestock. To provide water for the livestock. Like nothing to bring provision to Israel. Because you need to remember, Israel is a farming nation. They live off the land. They own livestock. They grow crops. Like Israel survives off those things. And there has been no rain to create and provide for those things. There's been no provision to Israel. And like, just that alone, we could spend a whole nother message on how like, God called Elijah to start this drought, and then he makes Elijah live in the drought that he called. And like, we could do a whole thing on God's provision and calling you to things that he has created. But like, we've done a lot of that, and I want to keep on moving on to God's glory. Three years And you can just imagine the anger and the tension that's built up for King Ahab. I mean, you you can see it, actually. I mean, their god, Baal, he was made completely useless in this. He's the god of rain. And a rando dude shows up, says there's not going to be rain on behalf of the god of Israel, And then for three years, their god, Baal, does nothing. Blown over by a man named Elijah. And what we see in chapter 18 is Ahab blames Elijah for it. I mean, it says that in chapter 18. And I'm going to summarize just a little bit of 18 because we're not going to read through the whole chapter tonight. I just want to summarize what's going on in it as we head into where we are going to be reading. Um, So at the very beginning, God calls Elijah to go back to King Ahab. 
because he says that the drought is going to end. After three years, God's like, Elijah, go to Ahab. The drought is over. That's very beginning of 18. And meanwhile, we see that the land has dried up so much that King Ahab has like one final thing. He's got one final plan that he's going to do. Him and his trusted servant, they're going to split up and they're going to go different ways and they're going to search the whole land any kind of land that could provide for the livestock. So the last thing, King Ahab and his trusty servant. And what we see secretly is that his trusty servant isn't actually so trusty. Because his servant actually serves God. Serves Yahweh. His servant, named Obadiah, actually as he's like splitting up and, and going to look over the land, like he runs into Elijah. And Elijah tells Obadiah, the servant, like, go get King Ahab. Go get him. I want to see him. It's time for the showdown. It's been three years. You've been looking for me for three years. And it's time we come face to face again. So here it is. Like the two sides are finally meeting again. The representative of God and the representative of Baal toe-to-toe. And this is what Elijah says. Let's look at it. And as we look at it together, like, I want you to just keep in mind that tension between these two, the conflict between these two men. We're going to be chapter 18, verse 17. In verse 17, it says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Reminder, Jezebel is King Ahab's wife. So he's saying, bring me the prophets that are eating in your house. The prophets that aren't God's prophets that you're feeding while Israel starves. Bring me those men. I want them. But I I don't want you to miss who Elijah wants there. It's not just the prophets that Elijah wants there. Who else is it? It's all of Israel. The entire nation of Israel is who Elijah wants to watch this. The whole nation. He wants them to see the glory God's about to have. And not just that. But he wants the opponents of God to see it too, right? So he invites the whole nation, the people who supposedly follow God, and he invites the people that don't, the people that worship other gods, the prophets of other gods. He's going to bring everybody into it. And so I I want to take an encouragement from this. I want to take a point of reflection from this. And I want to encourage you to give God an audience. I want to encourage you in your life to give God the audience he deserves. So that this situation that Elijah's in, it's about to get ugly. Like Elijah's going to do some calling out. We're going to see the prophets of Baal. They're going to be howling. They're going to be crying. They're going to be even cutting themselves upon the altar and spilling their blood out. It's not a pretty sight. It's, it's gruesome, and it's not something that I'm sure a lot of people would love to recall. 
right? I mean, like in our culture, especially today, this is not something that we would love to like just remember that we have seen in person, like 450 dudes all screaming and limping and cutting themselves around an altar. Like it's just this weird image, especially for in our culture today. But, but what does Elijah do in this moment? Elijah calls attention to the mess. He calls attention to, to what's going on. He calls attention to a situation in which he knows that God is going to do some work. And I want to ask you tonight, what kind of person are you when it comes to the things going on in your life? Like in this whole situation, I mean, we're talking about the people of God worshiping not God. Ugly, embarrassing thing. And Elijah's putting it on display because he knows that God's going to do something. So how often do you allow the ugly things in your life, the things happening to you, or more relevant, like the things that you're worshiping, the things that you misunderstand, the things that you are misdirecting towards, how often do you put those things on display for someone else to see so that the Lord might get more glory from it when people see it in your story? Now, some of you, like, you don't have a problem with this, right? Like, I know there's some of you that don't, but I would say a majority of us, we deal with this. Like, a good chunk of you, and definitely the church in general, and just our culture in general, we live very private lives. Like, yeah, they look public because people see what we want them to see, but otherwise, like, there are things that we keep very private about our lives. You know, we're, we're not too afraid to say our opinion we're not too afraid to uh, let somebody know maybe when we disagree with them or that we might have a different thought on something. We're not even afraid to show certain parts of our lives on, on social media, on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, like those things. But it tends to stop like right there, like right where we want it to. It tends to stop before it gets too personal. Or I would say before it gets truly personal, right? before people actually get to know who you are, how you actually think, what you actually deal with. Does that mean that uh, over the course of time and culture, someone might need to speak in private? I think that's part of it, for sure. And I, I think that we naturally like to hide the things we're uncomfortable with. And it's human nature to, to hide the things we're uncomfortable with, because we don't want to risk our idols getting put on display for the world to see. That makes you uncomfortable. And so I want to keep with this encouragement to open up yourself a bit more. Like, allow others to see what's going on in your life. Like, become more of an open book that allows people to see the story of God that's unfolding in your life. Like, if you're facing something rough, I encourage you to let people know. And not just in a way that, like, you're complaining about it, right? Not in a way that makes it very distant for you, where you can separate yourself from it and just sort of critique it, but still stay back at a harm's way. I'm talking about, like, in a way that they can see that God is working it out in your life, and you're sort of unsure about it, and you don't really know, but you're following and trusting God. Like, one of the things that I treasure most in our house, like, for those of you that have been over at our house, you'll get to see it again if you come over this Sunday, but if you've been over at our house, in our front room, we've got a piano, and right above it, is like these pictures of our kids, and then there's this uh, big sign there, and it's like one of the most treasured things I have in the house, and it says, 
Uh, one faithful God, one happy family. It's the, it's the thing I treasure most about our adoption story, finding Brittany's. And the, the second line, one happy family, like that's the easy part to see, right? Like when you look at the pictures of that event, when people were around at that event when we were adopting our kids, like people could easily see the whole one happy family part of it. You see a whole family smiling there. They're adopting kids. Like, of course, that part makes sense. It's on the outside. It's easy to see. But what about the one faithful God part? Like, if, if Brittany and I hadn't opened up our lives, including, like, the ugly parts, if we hadn't opened those up to our friends and our family, and if we hadn't opened those up to the church, the people we're supposed to be living life with. If we hadn't opened up our struggle with infertility and the the struggles with anger and insecurity and all those things, if we hadn't shared those with people, one faithful God would have meant a lot less. It would have been a lot more ambiguous. Like being open about the hardships and pitfalls is what allowed others to see how God was redeeming it. So it allowed others to see that God was the provision and was the glory in our lives. It's what allowed others to see God's faithfulness, and they wouldn't have seen that if we wouldn't have said it. It's something that I treasure, and it's the kind of stuff that I want you guys to treasure. I want you to treasure the times in your life when you've gone through something And because you were open and honest about it, not only do you get to celebrate God's faithfulness in it, but other people get to celebrate God's faithfulness in it. They get to see the glory that is had in it. So for you, it's allowing others to see the pitfalls, the idols, the rough patches, the the ugly stuff. Like allowing others to see the things that allows God to receive exactly what he's due. And I'm not saying like type every issue out on Facebook or Insta or anything like that, right? I'm not, I'm not saying just like constantly tell people what's wrong in your lives, but I'm saying is focus on those that you can be open with, like your friends, your family, and the church. Let them see God work in your life, and I think you personally will be amazed at how much more you recognize God's faithfulness in your life when other people are able to remind you of where you've been They're able to help you see what's going on now, and they're able to remind you of what God has promised will happen. You see more when others see more. So Elijah is creating this audience to put God's glory on display. Guys, I feel like it's really hot in here. Does anybody else feel like it's super hot in here? Hannah, would you mind just turning it down a bit, please? I like everyone was complaining that it was super cold earlier, and so I turned it up, and now I'm regretting this decision pretty quickly as I'm talking. I'm like, man, I know it's not, like, I'm turning red. All right, I'm gonna take a drink. Here we go. Raising canes, guys. <laughs> All right, so Elijah's creating this audience, right, to put God's glory on display. He's got these ugly things they're about to go through, and we're about to see, as we dive in the scripture, we're gonna see just how uncomfortable Israel is with what Elijah is saying. Um, so the encouragement is give God an audience, right? Give God an audience Um, those who will see him at work in your life and may even come to know him because they see him at work in your life. That's the encouragement from this passage, but I want to point out 
This isn't the main point of this passage, right? This is one of those, like, as you're reading the Old Testament, God might point something out to you, like a point of application, but that's not the main point of this passage. That's not what we're truly getting towards. We're heading there, though. So let's dive back into the passage, and as we read it, I'll just be explaining as we go. So keep your eyes in the text with me. 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 20, right? I'll read through it, comment as I go. It says, So King Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping? Now, just notice that word, because we'll come back to it. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. See what I mean by being uncomfortable? They didn't have a single response to that. They called the people of God, and they had no response to if the Lord was God. He's creating some tension. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now we know Elijah wasn't the last prophet because in chapter 18 at the beginning we see that. He talks about other prophets. But what Elijah is saying is, I'm the only one worth, uh, the, I'm the only one who finds it worth standing up for right now. I am the only prophet who's willing to stand on behalf of God. So Elijah's making this bold claim, right? I'm the only one who allows God to be heard right now. So then he says, let two bowls be given to us and let them choose one bowl for themselves and they can cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. So create this altar, but don't start the fire yet. And I will prepare the other bowl and I'll lay it on the wood and I'll put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God. So you'll call upon Baal and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Amen, they said. And that's why this is called the contest of the gods. I mean, you got you to imagine it's sort of like a, it's a big event, right? Like Elijah gets everybody gathered, starts the event. And he's like, here's the rules of it. All right. You build an altar. No fire. I build an altar. No fire. We see who God is, and we agree that whoever burns up the altar, that one's God. And everyone's like, amen. Make it happen. And the games start. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. So like six-ish hours, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. So... Um, if your translation doesn't say that, it's because they've chosen to give you a description of what it looked like. They'll say, like, they hobbled around the altar or something like that. But the Hebrew word is the same language that Elijah said, why do you limp between two decisions? Or why do you limp between God and Baal? And now it's saying that they limp around the altar. Elijah's making fun of them. Elijah is describing how silly they look 
when they're worshiping Baal. And he's using that as a way of sort of pointing out to them how silly it is what they're doing already. And then we see that he is really doing that because it says right after that, and at noon, Elijah mocked them. Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a god. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be wakened. So at noon, Elijah starts mocking them and he's like, Guys, he's a big God. Maybe you should yell louder. Maybe, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe you need to wait until he comes back from the bathroom. And then you can ask him to set your altar on fire. Uh, maybe he's just sort of being lazy and doesn't want to do anything. Make sure you shout nice and loud so your God can set this on fire for you. Like, as a side note, not an official point, but this lets me know it's okay to be sassy sometimes, right? Like, He's being bold. He's being sassy. And he's just letting them know, like, do you see how silly this is? Do you see how silly you are being right now to come up against the God of Israel with who you think is a God? A God that you said is the God of rain and he's yet not provided any for three years. Elijah, that's why I love him. He's just such a cool prophet, right? This is why everyone loves him. So, makes fun of their God, and they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, so until noon when it was supposed to happen. And there was no voice, and no one answered, and no one paid attention. So here's the second encouragement, and I promise this is an encouragement. Your idols are powerless. If you want, you can write, your idols suck, right? They're not great. I know it doesn't it sound encouraging right off the bat, but because the idols in our lives have no eternal power, that means that they will eventually fail. That they will eventually pale in comparison to the one who has true power, who is deserving of true glory. And also understanding that our idols are worthless and receiving that truth right now. Like if you receive that as I say it right now, that your idols, whatever you have in your heart, that you are worshiping and that you are giving power more than you give God power in your life. Like those things, if you can understand that now, understanding that they're worthless, that could be the very thing that causes us to turn away from them. Listen, I, I highly doubt that you're going home tonight and going to your bedroom and bowing down in front of a physical shrine to whatever God you're worshiping. There's people that do that in the world, but I highly doubt it's happening in the Quad Cities, at least in this group right here. But that doesn't mean that you don't have idols, and that doesn't mean that you don't have gods that you worship. And what I want to do tonight is I want to just leave you right there. I don't want to continue with the story of Elijah right now. I don't want to continue to the awesome part. I think it's like the cool, one of the coolest parts in all of Scripture is about to happen. But I don't want to get there yet. And I don't want to answer the question how you can fight these idols. I don't even want to get into describing what these idols are in your life. I just want to let the Holy Spirit do its work in you and say, the Lord will reveal them to you. And I want to encourage you to, to wrestle with this this week. 
So if you like meet with some kind of group over the week, some kind of Bible study, small group, friends, and you, if you at all, you talk to anybody about how your life is going, I want your answer to be, I'm figuring out my idols. I'm letting the Lord reveal them to me. I guarantee he's going to do a better job of it than I am right now trying to describe them, right? But I want you to turn your eyes towards next week too. So next week we talk about idols. And I'm not just talking about like, I worship my Xbox or I worship my girlfriend. Like I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the heart issues that are idols. The things that are actual serious bales in our life now. And that's what I want to hit next week. So two questions as we go into discussion groups tonight, all right? Two questions that you can really be thinking through that I'd love for you guys to talk about. I, you know, from what I hear, discussion groups are going really well. Thank you so much for opening up. Um, this is the place, right? This is the place to, to be able to put some things on display and ask questions. I would love it if you guys have an issue with something that's been said and you talk about it in your group, right? That, that would be fantastic if we actually have discussion about it. So first question where can I put God's work in my life more on display? Where can I let God be displayed more in my life? Or where can I give God a better audience in my life? Where can I draw a better audience to the things that God is doing? And the point two is, what are the things that I'm giving glory to right now? What are the things I'm worshiping? Think about those, rest in those. And next week is just going to be, I can't wait. Right? I love, this is, this is the reason I chose Elijah, is this next week. So um, let's end there. Let me pray for us, and we can go into discussion groups. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I know, I say thank you all the time, Father. It's because you deserve it. You deserve the praise. Father, I do want to acknowledge right now that I just preached a message that did not explicitly list Jesus as the center of it. And Lord, I, I want to uh, just admit that to you and trust you, Father, that you are pointing our hearts to Jesus in this. I want to trust you that um, as we are thinking about these idols in our lives, it is in full view of who the true God of our life is, Jesus Christ. It is in full view of the Son of God displayed on the cross, died, buried, resurrected, Father. I pray that in light of who Jesus is, that you would show us our idols and how they pale in comparison, Lord. And if we begin next week talking about idols, that we would come with this bag full of things to talk about, Lord. I want to praise you for what you do through your word. And be with us now as we discuss your word, Lord. This is where the building up happens, in your church as you intended. Father, thank you for this group of those they could be anywhere else tonight. They could be somewhere else, and yet they chose to be here. And Lord, I pray for those that couldn't make it tonight. Father, bring them back to us in a way that lets them know they were, they were missed and they were not forgotten. Lord, help them feel our love for them as we love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.